John 3, would you stand with us, please? We'll begin in verse 1 down through verse 21. There's no way I can deal with all of these verses justly, uh, but I am interested in Nicodemus visiting Christ by night, this scene from the life of Christ. The Bible says in John 3, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, You must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, We speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and you receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things, and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of, uh, even the son of Man which is in heaven." And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned. We ought to say hallelujah right there. Let me read that again. He that believeth on, uh, believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light is coming to the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For every one that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. Thank you for standing. You be seated. Nicodemus visits Christ by night. It's a familiar uh, passage of Scripture. Christ has now entered into his public ministry, and as a matter of fact, in the greater Galilean area. He's just come from um, his baptism, then 40 days in the wilderness. Uh, we've looked now for five messages. This will be the fifth message uh, since the temptation scene in the wilderness. And uh, all five of these messages will have come from John's gospel account. You remember we took two Sunday mornings and we dealt with Christ's first five. Uh, that being Andrew and John, Peter, Philip, and Nathaniel. And then the third message, of course, uh, would have been that out of John chapter number 2, where Christ turned water into wine, his first miracle that he performed um, after robing himself in flesh. And then our last message, of course, we looked at where Christ cleansed the temple, and now this fifth one since, which is number 22 total in the Christ series, is this message regarding Nicodemus visiting Christ by night. John's gospel is unique. I'm going to try to say some things along these lines from time to time, but it is unique in, in many ways. Um, as a matter of fact, 90% of what's in John's gospel is not included in the synoptics. In other words, what Matthew, Mark, and Luke write, largely what they write, they all write. Uh, John, 90% of what he writes is not included there are some things that are included in all four Gospels. The feeding of the 5,000, for example, that's included in all of the four Gospels. 
It's easy to divide the book of John. In chapter number one, you get a verbal testimony of Christ. Um, John begins it um, and uh, seems to continue it through John chapter number one. In John chapter number two through John chapter number 12, John records Christ's public ministry uh, as he observed it. In John chapter 13 through John chapter number 17, there's John's private ministry to his disciples. It took place in the upper room. Wouldn't you have, wouldn't you have liked to have been a fly on the wall and heard him as he spoke to his disciples in the upper room? Uh, many old writers call that the holy place for the disciples. He takes time with them right there about uh, his crucifixion, his exodus from this world, and, um, and a number of other things. And, uh, and if you're like me, would have liked to have been a fly on the wall, guess what? We get that privilege. It's all recorded, John 13 through John number 17. In John 18 through John chapter number 21, you find the crucifixion of Christ. Uh, you find his death, his burial, his resurrection, and post-resurrection scenes, uh, events after he's raised from the dead. Don't ever forget the key verses to the book of John, chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. I'll read them to you. You won't have to turn there. I've asked you to turn there the last two Sundays. But if you don't have these verses marked, mark them. Anytime you come to a book of the Bible, if you can understand where to find the key verses, that will reveal the purpose for the writing of that particular book of the Bible. If you could find a set of keys that I might leave outside of my front door, if you could find a set of keys to our home, if you would take those keys and let yourself in, you would learn a lot about us by looking at what Amanda, what she has on the wall. You could find my guns. You could find my books. You could find uh, all sorts of things in our home that would, would re- reveal a lot about us. And so it is when you come to studying the Bible. Some people approach the Bible and seem to think that somehow God doesn't want us to know. It's all mysterious, uh, shrouded and clothed in darkness somehow. And God doesn't want us to know what he's written. That's not the truth. As a matter of fact, the scriptures are of no private interpretation, Simon Peter would write. God does want you to understand. He wants you to understand what he has written from Genesis uh, throughout until you finish the book of Revelation. Let me give you a couple of other features about the book of John. John includes uh, the great I am declarations of Christ. For example, three times in John chapter number 6, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. You remember he had just got through Uh, taking the lad's lunch, blessing, breaking, passing out. And uh, the people were all enthralled about that, all enthralled. But Jesus, knowing what was going on, sent his disciples away. He's going to go up into a mountain and pray. Uh, But he knew what they were after. They were after the bread, and they were after the fish. They were after anything that could make their lives more comfortable. They liked, in other words, the fellowship hall. They didn't care anything about what came from the pulpit. You understand what I'm saying? And he said, I am the bread of life. He used that miracle as an opportunity, as a platform to preach and to present himself as the bread of life. In John chapter number 8, verse number 12, he made the declaration. He said, I am the light of the world. In John chapter number 10 and verse number 9, he said, I am the door. He is the door to salvation. He is the door to sanctification, child of God. In case there be anyone here today and you're struggling with some sin in your life, uh, whether anyone else knows about it or it is a hidden sin in your life, your problem's with the door. It's not with Satan making you do anything. Your problem is you won't run to the door. A door will let you in or a door will let you out. A door is a way of entrance and a door is a way of exit. Listen to what the Bible says about temptation In 1 Corinthians 10 and 13, the Bible says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way or a door, a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. We often blame our circumstances or we'll blame the devil. The problem with the child of God sinning is, is that we run by the door. We're so heady and high-minded and selfish, we want to engage in the sin that we engage in, and there he stands as the door, the way to escape, and whatever we may face in life. He claimed to be the good shepherd, John chapter number 10, verse 11. In John 11, verse 25, in Bethany at the tomb of Lazarus, he, he made that declaration, I am the resurrection and the life. 
John 14, 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. John 15, 1, he said, I am the true vine. But let me tell you something else that is unique to John's writing. Uh, Matthew's writings includes his preaching, right? I mean, there's just some preaching he does in Matthew's writing, and he's known for that. Mark is known for his works. The humanity of Christ is magnified in the book of Luke, but in John, several of these features. And one of those uh, several features is his personal interviews with with people. In other words, some one-on-one time, just Jesus and one person. You remember right here in John chapter number 3, it's with Nicodemus, a man who was religious out the gills. I mean, he's a religious man, yet he's lost without God. And I want to tell you, religion will leave you lost. Religion lets you die and go to hell, uh, making you feel good about yourself. You need Jesus is who you need. You don't need a Uh, some formal idea of what uh, maybe religion ought to be. You don't need to clean yourself up. Let him do the cleaning. I'm telling you, he he does a good job of it. Uh, But uh, Nicodemus was religious, but he's a lost man. You remember in John chapter number 4, there's the personal interview. Jesus just looked on his calendar and said, Ah, today's the day with the Samaritan woman down at Jacob's well. Yeah, I can't wait to to meet this much-married woman. You say, oh, preacher, that's offensive. It wasn't offensive to him. I'm telling you, he got right where she was. He waited on her. He knew she wasn't going to draw water at the beginning of the day or the ending of the day like all women in the cool of the day, if you will. She's coming in the heat of the day at midday. And the reason why was because of her lifestyle. He wasn't ashamed to meet her right where she was. And he's not ashamed to meet anybody nor afraid to meet anybody right where they may be today. There was the personal interview with the impotent man in John chapter number 5. It was an interview with a man who could not get over his past. Do you remember that? Jesus asked him, wilt thou be made whole? And he said, that pool over there, uh, that pool over there. And he said, I ain't talking to you about the pool. He said, yeah, but an angel stirs the pool, man. First one in, first one in gets healed. He said, I ain't talking to you about angels. And I'm not talking to you about foot races. I want to know, wilt thou be made whole? He couldn't get over his past. And I guarantee you, there's somebody sitting here today. You cannot get over your past. I'll tell you what you do with your past. You bring it to the one that's conquered your past. And you leave it right there. It's easy to say, well, I took it to the altar. But then you pick it up and you take it back and you wrangle and you wrestle with it. And that's an injustice. As a matter of fact, you're not even representing the Christian faith the way you ought to be representing it if that is your case today. You remember the woman taken in adultery in John chapter number 8. I've wondered like you have. Why didn't they bring the man she was caught with? They didn't bring the man that brought the woman. And they were shaming her, and they all had rocks in their hands. And said, the law of Moses said, stoner said, what say you? What you got to say about this? And all he did was he didn't get in a hurry. Jesus never got in a hurry about anything. And he gets down on the ground, stoops to the ground, begins to write. Maybe he wrote their sins. Maybe he wrote the Ten Commandments. Whatever he wrote brought great conviction in their lives. They begin to drop their stones. And he said, let he that is without sin cast the first stone. Nobody could cast a stone. They were all guilty, just like you are. When you point the finger at a brother or sister, or you even point the finger at a lost person, you're as guilty as them and hypocritical because they didn't do you that way, but you've done, you've done them that way. You sat in the judgment seat and looked down your nose at them. Can I get a witness right there? And, uh, but you know what you find in John chapter number 8? You find when love won the day. He has love, dear heart, for it doesn't matter who it is. It doesn't matter what you've been caught doing. He can move on the scene and win the day in your life and in my life. You remember in John chapter number 9, there was a personal interview where the man just couldn't keep his mouth shut. You remember the Lord, the Lord restored his sight. You remember what he said? He said, he said there was a man. He said, this man, Jesus, he said, uh, he just couldn't be quiet about what to, the Lord had done for him. He said, whereas I was blind, now I see. The last interview that you'll find in the Gospel of John is in John chapter number 21, that is a personal interview, is with a man that had cursed him publicly, Simon Peter. He didn't throw Peter away, and he won't throw any of his youngins away. And he's going to restore him right there on that, uh, right there on that, uh, the shores of the sea. What a God we serve, by the way. The, the text before us is the first of the interviews, personal interviews, that you find unique to the Gospel of John. We're going to divide this into three. 
The third section will be the largest section, and we cannot take the time that it will take to cover all of those verses. But in verses 1 and 2, there's Nicodemus. He's a man, again, that is religious. promise you he is. As a matter of fact, you, you would like to have him as a local judge or have him as an attorney or state representative. He's an honest man, uh, but he's rigid. Uh, the Pharisaic law and institution had taught him to be so. He's true to his office. He's religious. He knew what it was to go in and out of the synagogue. He knew the Old Testament scriptures, and yet, uh, and yet he's still lost without God, without hope in this world. We don't even believe that he's saved in John 3. We don't believe he's saved until somewhere later in life. I'm interested in the night. There's a lot of, lot of uh, debate over the night. Why did Nicodemus come by night? I think I know. And if you disagree with me, keep a lid on it. and We'll wait till we get on the other side. Maybe Gabriel will slip up beside you and say, you know, the preacher had that right uh, about that on the night why Nicodemus came to Jesus. But you know he's right, don't you? And uh, as a matter of fact, I'm the only preacher I know, Kestry, that's right about everything. As far as I can tell, I'm right about all of it. And, uh, and then I'm interested in the need. It represents uh, Nicodemus. His need represents the greatest need of humanity. And that is that a man be born again. That is that a woman be born again. That is a boy or girl be born again. That they know Jesus in the free pardon of sin. That is the greatest need. If you're here today lost, that's the greatest need that you have. It's not whether or not I hope you get your light bill paid. You've got plenty of groceries to draw from uh, for the next coming month. But your greatest need is not in the automobile you drive or the job that you've secured. Your greatest need is in knowing Jesus Christ in the free pardon of sin. Look with me at verses 1 and 2. Nicodemus, a man who was religious yet lost. Now, in verse number 1, we have an introduction to Nicodemus. And in verse number 2, there's an initiation by Nicodemus. Look with me, if you will. Verse number 1. The Bible says in John 3, 1, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. There's Nicodemus in his identity, if you will. Nicodemus is mentioned in three, three chapters of the Bible, all of them in the book of John. Nicodemus is mentioned by name five times in Scripture, all of them uh, in the book of John. And here in verse number one, there are really only two statements outside the giving of his name. There are really only two statements made about him. The first statement is that he's a man of the Pharisees, and the second is that he's a ruler of the Jews. Now, a man of the Pharisees, that means he's a religious separatist. He's uh, of the strictest uh, matter of the law. He attends to things that the average man did not uh, attend to. He's a strict follower of Judaism. He's one who embraced religious and ceremonial law. In belief and practice, he, is, he adheres to everything of the Mosaic law and the traditional law that has been handed down to the Sanhedrin court. It's been passed down now for generations, and he's embraced it all. He's all too happy to follow. He's probably a disciplinarian. Uh, disciplinarian. Uh, he's probably one that uh, if you were to follow him along uh, throughout the course of a day, he'd probably wear you out uh, over all the exercises that he would engage himself in. Uh, Nicodemus would observe all matters that would pertain uh, to the law. That being the Sabbath, uh, the tithe, the circumcision, uh, ceremonial cleanliness, eating of only certain foods, no matter what everybody else is doing. He would have fasted regularly and would have made it known. He would have observed all of the holy, uh, of the holy days that uh, were uh, prescribed. If, if you were to walk upon Nicodemus, we think fondly of him because eventually he's going to be saved and eventually he and his friend Joseph of Arimathea are going to go to Pilate and beg the body of Christ after he dies and they're going to give him proper and honorable burial. That's the intent of that. And he's going to come out very uh, publicly with that eventually once he comes to know the Lord and gets over himself. Uh, but if you were to have walked up on a man like this. All of them were known to be stoic, or an old phrase from the South that we used to hear, starchy. Uh, stoic like, a, uh, like, a, like Brian Arden, starchy like uh, Brian Jenkins. <laughs> stoic Brian and starchy Brian. You understand what I'm saying? 
But it would have been hard where we just are able to laugh with one another and and, uh, experience a little humor together. You wouldn't have done that with Nicodemus any more than you would have with Saul of Tarsus or any of the chief scribes or priests or you understand what I'm saying. I mean, they're just, they're very sober-minded. They're very serious and you're not going to detract them from that. So he's called a man of the Pharisees and then a ruler of the Jews, which simply means that he was part of the Sanhedrin court. A ruler would have been regarded as a prince among men. He, he would have carried a lot of gravity and weight and stroke in the community and in the area. To be a ruler, he would have been considered a great man of great stature in his day. An introduction to Nicodemus. Look with me at verse number 2. Notice this, uh, this initiation, if you will, by Nicodemus. Verse number 2, the, uh, the same, that is Nicodemus, the same came to Jesus by night And said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. And the initiation I'm talking about is this dialogue. Nicodemus comes to Christ. And as he comes to Christ, he comes and initiates a conversation. He initiates dialogue with the Lord Jesus Christ. The turning of water into wine, the cleansing of the temple, The fact that he looked around and is angry when he comes to the court of the Gentiles, the outer court of the temple, and he sees all these stalls where are housed uh, sheep and oxen and all these cages with doves in them, and and the exchangers of money, they've got their table set up, and everybody's making profit off of the house of God. And he takes time uh, to to braid that cord, and then he takes that cord, and he runs all those sellers of, of merchandise, he runs them out, he turns the money changers tables over and spills their money out uh, on the the, uh, on the court floor and then he runs the sheep and the oxen out then he tells the men that's got the doves you get that and you get that out of here it took a lot of authority if you will to do that took great courage and it took great boldness that's caught nicodemus's mind everybody knew what they were doing in the in the temple was wrong but nobody had the audacity nobody was bold enough to do anything about it Everybody was outnumbered. It would be one against a multitude for a man to do that. And here comes a man in talking about his father's house. And he cleanses, he cleans house, if you will. That's impressed uh, Nicodemus. He's stirred by it. Uh, There's a seeking of Nicodemus. He comes to Christ and he comes by night. And has been criticized for it. But at least he does come to Christ. And whatever you do before you leave this walk of life, Your greatest need is to come to Christ. There are not many ways to heaven. There's not many ways to the Father. There is but one way, and that is through the Lord Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection, his shed blood to cover your sin. I remember reading years ago about this bivocational pastor. And uh, and he he was a postmaster in a little small town. And, uh, and so he would, he would open up one morning and several are waiting on him. So they come into the lobby and they're wanting to buy stamps or mail letters or packages or whatever it is. And this one lady, she said, preacher, she said, I figured this business about heaven, I figured it out. And she, he said, oh, you have? She said, oh, yeah. I said, I have. I said, you know, we come up the bottom road, turned on Main Street here in town, then pulled in the parking lot and said, here, my husband and I stand. But said, you take Bill over here. Said, he come up. Uh, second street and then turned on to main street and he's in the parking lot now he got here and then there was somebody else and she said i feel like it's going to be that way when it comes uh, to going to heaven she said i feel like that we're all going to try to get there from our different destinations but we'll all wind up at the same place one day and the preacher said ma'am the only problem with that is when you die you're not going to the post office when you die you're either going to heaven or you're going to hell and jesus christ did not die in vain friend He took my punishment. He took the wrath of God for my sin as he took my sin upon himself upon the cross of Calvary. Now, if there was any other way to get to heaven, then that would mean that that would mean God punished his only begotten son in vain. Friend, you can't be baptized to help you to get to heaven. You can't speak in tongues to help you get to heaven. You can't have your name on on several church rows and expect that to get you to heaven. You can't give a tithe and an offering every Sunday and expect that to get you to heaven. You can't be like D.L. Moody and read your Bible through over 100 times in a lifetime and expect that to get you to heaven. 
The problem with all of us is, is that we were born to Adam's ruined race. Sinners we are by nature, by practice, by birth. Uh, we, are, we are sinners in needing uh, of our sins to be cleansed and washed. And Jesus did that for all who would come uh, unto him. The initiation by Nicodemus. He's searching for something. Now, Nicodemus was a rich man. He's a religious man. He's a ruler in Israel. As a matter of fact, he's so rich that there are more than one writer writes of how that Nicodemus was part of, of uh, was uh, part of one of the three wealthiest families known in Israel uh, in these days. Yet none of that brought any peace to his life. None of it brought any everlasting joy. None of it gave him a settledness to where he could he could relax in the Pharisaic laws and customs that they uh, had embraced. None of that initiated the worship of the God of heaven in his life. Is anything, is anybody in your life, does anybody live in there that initiates worship from you? I've told you before. Uh, I Sometimes I go out in the morning and turn my birds loose. And there's a bird sings in the dark in the road ditch on the side of 41 right there in front of our house. I thank the Lord for a copyright and a song giving it to that old boy. He sings to me every morning. Sings to me before the sun ever shines on me. I love to study when it's cold and raining. I could sit out in the middle of it if it wouldn't ruin my Bible and my books. I can get steel, more steel. Sometimes I go sit on the front porch when it's coming up, up, up a storm. I told you recently about thinking, I'll just go out and sit on the, sit on the front porch and while this thundercloud comes through, and I tell you unto God, I sat down, lightning flashed, and thunder shook the ground. I said, Lord, I am sorry. And I got up, and I went back in the house. I cook breakfast every morning, long before my wife ever rises. I thank the Lord for something to cook. I do. I thank him for something over my head, a roof over my head, a place to lie down, a place to be warm in the wintertime and stay cool in the Summertime. God has afforded me so much. I've sat down in the pickups so many times and thank the Lord for transportation. I remember times when I didn't have transportation that was reliable. But you know what I thank him for every day? For dying for my sorry, no account, sinful, wretched, worthless soul. I thank him every day. I'm looking at Miss Billy Holloway. It's been a few months now. Out on the front porch one Sunday. We were talking about how good God been to us. She said, Brother Kevin, I know he's been good to me. She said, he's been good to me. I thought we'd have camp meeting right out there on the front porch of this church. God's been good to all of us, friend. He's been the best to us in providing his son for our atonement. Notice the statement by Nicodemus. I've got to hasten. The statement by Nicodemus, verse number 2, he says, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. This is what he said. He said, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. Even the Muslims believe that. You've got to believe more than that. He's more than a teacher from God. He is God who has come to teach, friend. He is God robed in flesh. He is the Son of God, God the Son. He's the Lord of glory that came to this world to identify with the likes of us that we can identify with the likes of him. That ought to make a, that ought to make a Lutheran want to shout. Thank God. I want to show you something that caught my eye this week. Look, if you will, in verse number two. Notice what he doesn't say. He says, he doesn't say, Rabbi, I know that thou art a teacher come from God. He doesn't say that, does he? He says, Rabbi, we know. Some of them been talking, Brother Jimmy. He'd been talking to his friends. Who was he talking to? I thought about that. Perhaps he was talking to Joseph of Arimathea behind the scenes about the turning of water into wine, about his preaching, about, about his cleansing of the temple, perhaps some of the other religious leaders that would one day be saved too. We read about some of those later on in Acts chapter 6 and verse 7. The Bible says, And the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. See, they've been talking about him, trying to figure him out. Who is this? Right now, all he thinks is he's a teacher come from God. He's a preacher. He's a prophet. 
That's what he thinks at this moment. Acts chapter number 18, verse number 8, the Bible says, In Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his house, and many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed, and were baptized. Can you imagine at Corinth Baptist Church, they're going to have a church directory made up, and they bring in a photographer, and it comes time for the ex-priest Crispus, and there he sits down with his dear wife and his children, And there they have smiles on their face, just glad to be saved by the grace of God. They've been through the baptismal water. They now identify with the local body known at Corinth. And here they are now, part of the body of Christ. There was a time when Crispus would have refused and rejected Christ. But he's saved in the book of Acts, chapter 18, saved by the grace of God. Here's a man who's involved in all this meticulous keeping of the law. And yet he was lost. I don't want to be hateful to any of us here. But you do know. I think I've already stated something to this effect. Religion will let you die and go to hell. The Baptist church will let you die and go to hell. We need to be telling our lost friends about Christ. What he's done for us upon the cross of Calvary. As a matter of fact, the commission was left to us. It it wasn't that there's a sign on the front of the church. They know where we're at. We need to get the gospel out. Can I get a witness? Somebody told you. There is Nicodemus, a man who is religious but lost. Notice the night. The night in question, verse number 2, the Bible says, the same came to Jesus by night. There's been a lot written and a lot of debate that's taken place over why Jesus or why Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. And two or three observations I'd share with you. First of all, this nighttime interview, he's not going as a rep, as a representative of the Sanhedrin council. Had he been doing that, he would have been accompanied by several others, both of the Pharisaic line and the Sadducean line. And so he goes. He's not, he, he's not going on a mission uh, being part of the Sanhedrin. He's not going to question Christ about his being Messiah, his claims to be Messiah. He's not going to question him about the origin of his miracles. That's not why he's going. This nighttime visit of Nicodemus is to satisfy his own personal questions he has about Christ. He knows there's something different about him. There's nothing in history nor in Scripture that would, uh, that would lend itself to what has been purported in that. Some say that he went by night because he's so busy during daytime. It's the only time he had to come. I don't buy that. You cannot find evidence of that anywhere. He's a master in Israel. He's a teacher in Israel. He's a man with great influence. He could have done anything he wanted to do when the council wasn't meeting. So I don't buy that. I'm convinced Nicodemus came to Jesus by night to keep his visit concealed from his peers. He could have very easily damaged his career and his reputation. He doesn't want anybody to know other than Christ that he's come to Christ by night. As a matter of fact, John will mention Nicodemus by name three times. He mentions him some five times, excuse me, three times he mentions John in John 3, John 7, John 19. All three times he mentions, hey, this is the guy that came to Jesus by night. Listen to this. John 3, 2, the same came to Jesus by night. John 7, 50, Nicodemus saith unto them, speaking to the soldiers that wanted to apprehend Christ. And then John is careful to say, he that came to Jesus by night being one of them. And then in John 19, verse number 39, the Bible says, and there came also Nicodemus, which at the first, at the first, on the front end of this thing, came to Jesus by night. Also, he's connected with Joseph of Arimathea. Listen to what the Bible says in John 19, 38. After this, Joseph of Arimathea, listen to this, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, for fear of the Jews. Now, I hear people rear back in pulpits on occasion and say there is no such thing as a secret disciple of Christ. But now John said there was. If you were to go to the small Bible museum in Pigeon Forge, if it's still there, they've got what's called armpit Bibles. They were used in Russia. They were printed so small that it took a magnifying glass to read it. 
And when somebody would tip off soldiers that they had a Bible, they could take that armpit Bible. They could either sit on it or they could stick it underneath their arm in their armpit and let the soldiers search whatever they wanted to. The closest they're going to get to a Bible is the magnifying glass that they read it with. We may be headed to a similar destination in these United States of America. I'm going to tell you something. It's a slap in the face to Christianity when a trans girl can take two rifles and a handgun into a Presbyterian day school for children, shoot three nine-year-olds, three adults, and then the national media now is having a heyday claiming transgender rights. Ain't nobody said anything about how the Christians have been treated in this country. Don't you think that's not part of the tipping point? We're already under the judgment of God. Say what you want to. Go back home, kick your feet up, sit under the air-conditioned TV. We're already experiencing the judgment of God in these United States of America. That's the day we live in, friend. That's the day that we're living in right now. In John's gospel, let me give you another thought. The night carries with it a dark perhaps even sinful tone. Let me give you four verses. I'll do this briefly. John 1, 5. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. This world didn't accept the light of the world. John 9, 4. Jesus said, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. John eleven ten. 10. But if a man walk in the night, he stumbleth because there's no light in him. John 13, 30. He then, having received the sop, went out, went immediately out, and it was night. I'm convinced he came by night because he knew it would harm his reputation and harm his career. Nicodemus, a religious man who was lost. The night, the night in question. Why did he come at night? Lastly, the need. A lot of these verses, about all we can do is read through them, make a few brief comments. But in verses 3 to 21, Jesus spoke to Nicodemus about several things here in these verses. He spoke to him, first of all, in verses 3 to 8, about the spiritual birth, or excuse me, the new birth. The spiritual birth is what he's talking uh, to him about. He speaks to him about his sad reality that he lives in. He speaks to him about the serpent lifted up in the wilderness in Numbers 21. He gives to us this sacred text of John 3 and verse 16. And he closes this section with salvation truths. Thank God for this section of Scripture. The new birth, verses 3 to 8. We learn in this text that Nicodemus is spiritually blind. He can't see. That's his problem. He can't see. i got to hasten. Y'all not letting me preach too fast this morning. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever seen anybody, have you ever been a part of, whether it be in our church or a church, some other place, and somebody just kept saying, I just don't see. I, I can't see why they spend that money. I can't see why they give all that away. I can't. They may be telling on themselves. Listen to 3 to 8. Listen to the verses. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see. Nicodemus, you're not going to understand what I'm telling you. You may even make light of it. Nick, this isn't surprising to me because a lost man's in darkness and he can't see. Cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he's old? See, he can't see. Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? How absurd. But he can't see. Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. He said, Set that aside. And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. He said, Put that to the side on one side. Marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth. Now here's the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. I love that. The new birth. Nicodemus is a blind man. He cannot see. He speaks. Jesus speaks to him about the second birth. His need to be born again. Brother Doug, I'm, I'm not going to disparage him in any way. I called Mark, uh, Brother Doug Jones' son. I called him one day this week, and I said, look, I said, what about Brother Doug? Can I run by and 
And he said, well, I've got him in the tub and, and said, be honest with you, Brother Kevin, when I get him out, he'll sleep the rest of the day. He said, you can't. He said, I wish you could, but you'll have to come a different day. And I've not had time any of the other days. Brother Doug tell you how the cow eats cabbage, whether you want to know about it or not. And he and I, we've been in Texas together. We've been in Georgia together. We've been in hotel rooms. You name, we've been on the other side of the world together. Uh, we roomed together, used to room together, and we'd go all five or six, seven, eight, ten of us go out, and Brother Doug and I'd room together. And, uh, and, and the pastor I was preaching revival for, we got back in the car to come back toward Pontotoc one night, and the pastor talked about when he got born again. Born again. And Brother Doug, he said, no. He, somebody needs to talk to him about that. I said, about what? He said, he said we're not born again. He said, we're born again. And he said, you don't have a problem with that? And I said, I don't have a problem with that. I don't have a bit of problem with that. As a matter of fact, I got a problem with a man that won't be himself. My old pastor used to say it like that. He'd get stirred up and sound like thunder going off when he'd preach. And he'd rear back and talk, talk about when he got born again. <laughs> I like it. Brother E.L. Crumpton, I remember the first time I ever heard him preach. He preached at Buckingham. He preached out of Acts 1, verses 9 to 11. He preached on Jesus is coming again. And, and, and when he ta- I used to love to hear him talk. If you remember Brother Crumpton, Mike, you remember Brother Crumpton. Some of you may remember. He, he'd talk like this. I, He'd get up behind the pulpit at Buckhannon and he'd talk about Brother Charlie, Brother Charlie. He gambled and drank before God saved him. Couldn't read or write. God saved him. His wife took the Bible and taught him how to read his text, memorize it, till words began to look familiar, thee and thou. and All up, got to looking familiar and he got to where he could read his Bible. Isn't that a miracle in itself? But old Brother Crumpton, he'd saved and that old nasal tone, he'd talk about being born again. I say thank God for that Friday night in February of 1990 when I got born again. Amen. He said, Nicodemus, that's your trouble, son. You need to be born again. I, I like this phrase, verily, verily. It's used about 25 times in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Three times in this very chapter. As a matter of fact, in verse number three, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Second time it's used is in verse 5. Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Then in verse 11, he does it for the third time. In this particular uh, personal interview, he says, Verily, verily, which means amen, amen, of a truth, of a truth, truly, truly. Jesus uses this uh, phrase in order to emphasize something vitally significant verse number four according to verse four nicodemus doesn't understand verses five to seven jesus gives emphasis to the second birth yet again i've got to point out verse five five and six go together what's he's talking about when he when he mentions a man must be born of the water and of the spirit uh, some say that that means that the water that uh, that that is speaking of christian baptism but no, that's not so that's not so. As a matter of fact, Christian baptism was not instituted until after the resurrection of Christ. So that's not so. The book of Acts in two different places makes a critical distinction between John's baptism and Christian baptism. So that's not so. Some say that the water is a reference to the word of God, the washing of the water by the word, but I would even reject that. As a matter of fact, I believe this, what I'm fixing to tell you, for years. And then I got to looking at the etymology of the word because strongs don't give you much. So you have to go back to the etymology of the word. Born of water comes from ex hadatos, means born out of water. Ex hadatos. According to writers, the Jews referred to this when they used ex hadatos. It referred to the rupture of the membrane. The rupture of the membrane. When all four of our children were born, Dr. Sanders, Dr. John Sanders, Dr. Miles delivered one of the children, maybe one of the others too. They go back behind the scenes. I don't know what's going on, Warren. <laughs> She's giving birth to our oldest one. She is hurting so bad. She took my hand, was fixing the bite. I said, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> and get you some more of that shot. I don't care nothing about you biting me. <laughs> How many of you have ever heard this? Um, 
a lady's getting up next to her due date, and the doctor will send her home, and everybody gets word down at the church. They're going to put her in and break her water if she hasn't started labor on Tuesday, by Tuesday morning. She's got to be there at 6 o'clock. Do you know that's what that means, that phrase means? As simple as that sounds. You know, there's all kind of debate about it. But if you go back to the etymology, which is the root of the word, it simply means to come from the membrane. It's a baby breaking forth from the mother's womb. Watch what he says, verse number 5. He says in verse number, that's what he's saying. In verse number 5, he says, verily, verily. He said, Nicodemus, listen carefully. He said, I say unto thee, except a man be come forth from the membrane of his mother's womb and of the spirit. He cannot. It's an absolute impossibility, Nicodemus. He cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Verse number 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. You've heard this before. Born once, die twice. Born twice, die once. Death for a lost person is likened unto a second death. I could give you a lot on that. As a matter of fact, I've got a good bit on that. Look, let me move on. Look down to verse number 8, if you will. Jesus speaks to Nicodemus not only about the second birth, but in verse number 8, he speaks to him about the work of the Spirit of God. Verse number 8, I love this verse. Committed it to memory many, many years ago. The wind bloweth where it listeth. Now here's the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh or whither it goeth. So is everyone that's born of the Spirit. That's always been a remarkable thing to me. F.B. Meyer, the devotional writer of yesteryear, so respected, wrote this about that verse. He said, the new life begotten by the Spirit of God is as mysterious as the wind itself. The wind and the Spirit are likened. The wind is an emblem of the Holy Spirit in Scripture. Both of them are invisible, that is, the wind and the Holy Spirit. Neither of them can be seen. Both of them can be sensed. Neither of them can be fully explained. Both of them are fully evidenced, though. You don't ever know what God may be up to today. This may be dead as four o'clock in the morning, some of you. But somebody in the night may have already gone to Christ looking for answers. Needing God to move on their behalf. You never know what may be going on in a service. I have always been interested in listening to old preachers talk about what they've experienced down through the years. You all know my love and respect for Brother Ken Trivet. He and I are going to try to go to England next year, take Tyler and take Aaron. They need to go back to those old places where those preachers are reading after, pastored and grew up and are buried. They need to go there. Brother Ken, when he was at Temple Baptist in Chattanooga, they experienced revival from year 10 to year 22. He didn't have to leave. He said it started spontaneous. Most revivals do start spontaneous. And usually it'll be that God will ignite it in the heart of one, like he did Evan Roberts in the great revival of Wales in 1904 and 1905. Changed an entire country. He said, we'd been praying, but we didn't really expect anything. He said, it was a Sunday morning, just like all Sunday mornings. Of course, now they had a temple. Church has gone down since he's left. They had about six sections of pews. There were about 1,200 active members. And over on the right hand, the far right, he said, the man that made the move. He said, I'd never seen him in the altar, but I took for granted he was a saved man. He said, he got started before he ever got there, coming to church every time his wife came to church and said, that Sunday morning, he got up for the first time, made his way to the altar. He said, I really didn't think anything about it because spontaneously people in the song service began to just move. He said, here in a little bit, said his wife from the altar motion. He said, I went over there and said, can I be of help? And said, the man said, Pastor, I'm lost. I've never been saved. And I need to be saved this morning. He said, he led him to, said there were multitudes, multitudes that were saved that day. Said they had people that surrendered to the mission field and that's, it was a turning service, a turning point in the ministry of that church for some 12, 12 years. 
Isn't that the way God works? You don't know what he may be doing in your neighbor's life and heart. When they go to a singing to sing, they don't know who's sitting there. They don't know the baggage that's come through that door. They don't know who's lost and who's saved. They don't know the needs. They just go and try to minister and let the Spirit of God do the work. I got to quit. Let me give you the rest of this. Won't you look at John 3, 16 here in just a moment? There's not only the spiritual birth he deals with in verses 9 to 13. I'll summarize it for you. There's the sad reality. Simply put, Nicodemus did not and he could not understand what Jesus was dealing with. That's the sad reality of those verses. There's the serpent that's lifted in the wilderness, he refers to in verses 14 and 15. What Jesus does is he uses this brazen serpent that was used in the wilderness, raised as a picture of his own death, and how that he would become the very thing that's killing us, and that's sin. And for a look, Nicodemus could have been saved in this night's scene. Look at this, if you will, this sacred text he gave to us, verse number 16 of John 3. We all know it by heart. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Several things I'd like to say about it. Let me pass on to you something that was passed on to me many years ago. I don't know who to credit this with. For God, the Lord of earth and heaven, so loved and longed to see forgiven the world in sin and pleasure mad, that he gave the greatest gift he had, His only begotten Son to take our place, that whosoever, oh, what grace, believeth, placing simple trust in Him, the righteous and the just, should not perish, lost in sin, but have everlasting life in Him. Then He's going to give us some salvation truths in verses 17 through 21. Nicodemus represents a man that um, religions had its way in his life, morality and ethics have had their way, but it still left him lost without Christ. Bottom line, a man must be born again. Henry Morehouse, preaching in Chicago, Illinois, for D.L. Moody many years ago, he got up and preached out of John chapter number 3 on Monday night. He preached on you must be born again. On Tuesday night, he come back and he preached out of John 3. His title of his message was you must be born again. Wednesday night, Friday night, and Saturday, same text, same message. Moody asked him why. Same message every night. He said, because you and I both know that a man must be born again. Let's stand.